0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Tonight, my guest is renowned poet Julian Matthews. Julian is a poet, a short story writer, and an essayist who expresses himself through poetry. He has been published in many, many journals and other types of publications. He is also a performance poet and has been featured or co-featured or the headliner at venues around the world. I am so excited to have him with us. Welcome, Julian.
1: Hi, Dr. Ingram. Good morning. Good morning Hello. for me. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Oh, you're more than welcome. And what time is it there in Malaysia?
1: It's just a minute past 9 a.m. on January 24th. Yeah.
0: Wow. 9 a.m. on January 24th. It sounds like a poem. All right. <laughs> let's, be- let's begin this poetic journey. What is poetry?
1: Yeah, so um, poetry is like word
0: magic for me.
1: It's, um, it's a form of expression that evokes emotions and engenders empathy using words to create a world in the listener's mind and, and heart and, and takes their soul on a journey to unexpected places. Some of these places are beautiful and some of them can be dark and uh, painful. Yeah.
0: All right. It's a beautiful definition of poetry. I really mm. like that. I don't think mm. I've ever heard anyone share, that, share it that way before. So what I'd like to know from you is why do we do what we do? So why is poetry important?
1: Oh, wow. Okay, good question. I think it goes back to what I was suggesting earlier about emotions and empathy. Mm-hmm. So poetry, especially... Um, I think during the pandemic, we all realized that the time had slowed down to a point where we were all, you know, in a way isolated. It made us Mm -hmm. ponder the human condition, our mortality, who in our life is important. So I guess poetry is important because we get all the strong emotions out and are able to put it on paper and share it with others. So there was um, a lot of pain during the pandemic and that pain... As you know, when when it's shared, it's halved, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so poetry is important because I guess we all have stories to tell. I mean, some of us tell stories through books, through movies, through music, through dance and comedy and stuff. But poetry is a, a is just a is a means to evoke or transport us or motivate action. You know, poetry can stir social change. It can can aid in uh, seeking justice for wrongdoing. It can ask ourselves who we are why we're here how we relate to others but you know poetry <laughs> i hear a lot of people say poetry is therapy but i rather i rather uh, define it as therapeutic not therapy because yes you know ther- therapy requires a professional to provide you strategies to deal with it right? mm-hmm. i mean poetry is like um, it's like a silver lining to a cloud but you still got to deal with the cloud over your head
0: you know you know Many years ago, I wrote an article for the Journal of Poetry Therapy. And you're uh-huh. right, there is a qualitative difference. So as mm-hmm. you think about your body of work, what are some of the predominant things, Julia? Uh,
1: most of what I write about is about loss, about grief. In the last 10 years, I had to deal a lot with death because there were, at my age, there are so many people who are falling by the way. And uh, it's about, for me, it's like being lost and finding yourself and reconnecting with my humanness. So, yeah, so those are my pre dominant themes.
0: All right. Yeah. Mm. So when when you write, how does a poem begin for you with, for you, with an idea, a form, or an image?
1: Oh, yeah, all the all, above.
0: All the above. Talk to me
1: yeah so sometimes it just comes to me while I'm driving strangely enough, that's how it started and i have sometimes when I have like four lines in my head, I just have to pull over and write it down or or tap it out in my phone. That's how it began for me. sometimes it's through just reading a news article that theres so much emotions so I need to respond to it in some form or manner and I used to do this as a journalist mm-hmm. uh but those were just um, dealing with facts and uh, people who are the quote uh, the, the experts in their field and getting quotes from them, right? But poetry allows me to explore it in my own way, in my own subjective truth, uh, so I can explore an idea through my own words that I have in my head already. Wow. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we're going to go back now. Mm. Please share share Mm -hmm. with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power.
1: Um, I used to post stuff on social media, mainly Facebook at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And those were just little rhymes here, little uh, things poking at the government here, poking at uh, things that I was unhappy with. Um, And then at some point, I wrote a poem about MH370, So MHP-70, as you know, was the Malaysian uh, plane that got lost in 2015, coming up to nine years now, and still not found. Parts of it has uh, started up here in the coasts of Africa and the islands around there, Madagascar. uh, So I wrote a piece. Uh, It was on the third year that the plane was lost, so I named it 1096 Nights. Um, because uh, people were tracking the days and I was thinking for the people involved what their nights were like. Uh, so that was the first piece that seems to have struck a chord with my friends on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, a friend read it and she was so moved by it. She asked me to come for a reading and I'd never been to a reading, especially not a poetry reading. Uh, and uh, uh, it seemed to work. Somebody uh, video, and I posted it online, and it seems to have affected and moved people. So that's the first time I I noticed that the poetic language, as you suggest, has power.
0: Wow. So you didn't write as a child growing up?
1: Not at all. I came to poetry very, very late. Uh, I'm 59 this year. Uh, I came to poetry in 2000. Or rather, poetry came to me, maybe, or found me in <laughs> 2017, oh. 2017, which, which would put it put me back at six years ago. Okay. As a child, I was never into poetry. I didn't think much of poems. Uh, I wasn't schooled in it. I didn't have any literature background in poetry. Although I was exposed to, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, junior level uh, Shakespearean, uh, Shakespearean. Uh, language, uh, Mm -hmm. but um, maybe rhymes. I was, uh, but never really serious into poetry. I never read poetry books. I never wrote poetry. Yeah. So I was a journalist for 15 years of my life and a trainer, media trainer for 15 years, another 15 years of my life. And in between, I was a a PR professional. So, Mm -hmm. so uh, poetry was never part of it at all.
0: You've been extremely prolific, (laughs) I mean, Mm. when I had an opportunity to read your bio, the full-length one online, in terms Mm. of your poetry performances, you've been everywhere. Mm. What was that like? What's it like traveling like that?
1: So because of the pandemic, I noticed when I started submitting poems online that uh, they were doing some readings. And these readings were initially on... uh, some other online platform then i noticed that zoom became the de facto platform yes. for poets <laughs> so uh, yes. i found i found so many other poets poet, poetry open mics happening during the pandemic because everybody shifted online and zoom was pretty reliable and uh, audio was very clear and the video was fairly decent mm-hmm. and uh, so I finally found, I thought, a great space where I could go back to performing poetry uh, in the comforts of my home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and, and that got me writing again and got me uh, performing again, which was very cool. And learning how to uh, use the platform to be more creative and imaginative. And because these open mics all over the world, were, some of them demanded uh, or had themes, weekly or monthly themes, mm-hmm. and some of them, uh, and because you, were, you didn't want to repeat yourself, you, you, I kept writing. And kept writing
0: <laughs> yeah. and soon I had a pile of poems. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Because I kept reading and reading and reading. It's <laughs> incredible. Julian, yeah. please share a poem.
1: Uh, okay, so I'll share the first poem, which uh, is about me being uh, slightly different in Malaysia. We have uh, three main races in Malaysia, which is, and when you fill up a form in Malaysia, they require to to fill the boxes, tick the boxes. The first one is uh, usually the majority, which is Malay. The second is under race uh, Malay. The second one is Chinese, which is about 20-25% of the population, and the third one is Indian, which is uh, about less than 10% of the population now. And then the fourth box is for everybody else, which is comprises maybe 60 other different mixed race and native and indigenous race people. And and I had to pick the I always pick the last box. So All right. this poem is called Other or Lain in Malay, which is spelled L-A-I-N, L-A-I-N. So here goes. As a schoolboy, I was always, always asked what mix I was, as if I were ingredients to make a cake by, as if I were eggs that needed to be separated into yellows and whites. For better or worse, then I would say I'm half-baked or spinach masak, like the two half-boiled eggs my Anglophile Holy Siloni's father ate ritually every morning, made faithfully by his Chinese-born Indian-adopted wife, and served with white salt, black pepper, and brown toast. White, yellow, brown, or black. Colour, mix, race, boxes to take. Why didn't we have more choices like the Luna 12-colour pencil boxes we had, or the 64-colour boxes that my rich friends had that I so envied, because I was told I was not Malay, Chinese, not Indian. And even though the teacher insisted Ceylonese should be classified under Indian, I refused to play the game. And why was my mother's composition not in the equation? When it comes to race, jegu jangan main main. Teacher, don't. Play, play. I would rather be tagged, line, line, others. Not as a badge of shame, but to show that under this prick skin, we are same, same. After all, isn't lying, lying just an anagram for nail, nail, like the two in the cross? I'd rather be a martyr than for all those who are lost. And if they crucified me for it, maybe it would start a religion that a billion others profess to. And the lying, lying Gospels would not be written only by four men. It would have a billion godless spells written by every man, woman, and every gender in between. Every page, verse, and chapter would not be just in black ink on white paper but a psychedelic rainbow reflecting nothing anyone has ever heard or seen before. We are all from the same DNA, so why do you label me as another? Do our mothers and fathers deserve to be called others? I could call you sister or brother or any pronoun you wish to be. You see, it really doesn't matter to me. I only see what I see. Do you see me too? So tell me again, what color are your fears? What race? Are your tears? What religion is your blood? What language are your hopes? What ancestry, breeding, caste, descent, extraction, pedigree, parentage, background, status do I have to be to call you my friend? And what will it take for you to identify me as human? Because when they made Lion Lion, they didn't just break the mold. They broke the yolk and mixed in white salt and black pepper and dipped brown toast in it, and it was whole meal fully organic naturally delicious take it or leaven it we may decline to be defined by tiny boxes you tick on and we may pay the price because we don't conform but at least we know are our own yes i am the other we are all others instead of other can't you just reach out shake my hand and call me Brother, and William, thank you.
0: Wow. I need a second to recover.
1: <laughs>
0: there was a beautiful piece. Thank you, Julian. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall?
1: Hmm. Interesting question. I guess the. Leo- the obvious answer would be letting your guard down because who wants to build walls? But I think both in a way because um, let's say you share your truth and your truth is a subjective truth and yours alone, right? And you're you're vulnerable when you share it and you let it all out. But but you also set boundaries when sometimes you can set boundaries in your poetry and tell people that no is no. This is where I draw the line. Here's why, you know? And, and poetry can do that. Like So in that sense, it can suggest that uh uh here here is me vulnerable me everything about me this is my truth but it also can say this is where i draw the line this is where i stop this is the kind of wall i want to build around me right and oh this is my my uh truth yeah does
0: that make sense I'm, yes it does i've never heard it explained like that especially mm-hmm. the part about building a wall that you want yeah. the wall because that's the boundary
1: yeah yeah
0: Yeah. That's a new term for me.
1: I boundaries. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm I'm learning. I'm still learning. Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Well, you mentioned a cake in that particular (laughs) piece. (laughs) 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 I love that. Because my question is about a cake. (laughs) Let's imagine for a moment that a poem is like a cake. (laughs) What are some of the most prevalent ingredients that go into the concoction we call a poem. Oh,
1: I think goes back to um, goes back to the earlier answers, which was uh, emotions and empathy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would put emotions and empathy in a cake, and hopefully, when you bake it and it comes out, and it's shared by all, then people can understand your emotions and empathize with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that cake. <laughs> Please share with me the names of five of your poems. Names of any five, five poems. So yes, okay. <laughs> any five poems.
1: Yeah, so the ones I wanted to share with you today, um, Vesper Flight <laughs> All right. comes from the title of a book by Helen McDonald. Um mm-hmm. the second one is uh, something that was contained in the anthology of poets writing about poetry and it's called The Poems We Write. Yeah. Uh the the third one is um, something I have just written recently and still working on called Second Skin. Okay. I, I'd love to share that later. And mm-hmm. um yeah the, the next one is called a, a more of a prose poem it's called Snake Stories. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what I'd like to know is, mm. what role do you think a title should play in a poem?
1: Oh, so how I come important. from a journalistic... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, how
0: yeah. important is a title?
1: <laughs> so I come from a journalistic background. So mm-hmm. titles come easily for me. Um, I think it's so important to a poem because it gives you a sort of marker. Uh, where this poem is going, what it's about. And especially if it's a, it's a title that's going to surprise you at the ending. And you, after you've read the last stanza, you go back or the last line and you go back and read the title again. And it all uh, takes you to unexpected places and it all makes sense, especially when the title is dual in meaning or, or triple meaning. If I, can, if I can do that, it'll be really, really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So do which comes first, the title or the poem?
1: Ooh, okay. I think the first line. Comes first. <laughs> okay. I think the first line comes first. And then okay. uh, slowly, slowly <laughs> the, the title comes to As a journalist, I think one of the things we were trained to do was to get the intro right. And when you got the intro right, you could be writing it like 12, 13, 15 drafts of the intro until you get it right. Once you get the intro right, then everything mm-hmm after that and usually the title or the headline is uh, suggested by the editor or the copy editor so you don't have to worry about that
0: but okay. because
1: I was so trained in journalism to spot the headline in my head even before I deliver the story yes um, it comes easy to me it comes easier to me yeah
0: all right please share another poll um,
1: okay so um the one I'd like to share with you today, the second one, is called uh, Vesper Flights. So Vesper Flights is a title of a book by Helen MacDonald and uh, uh, I think an essay she wrote in several, that appeared in several publications. It'll make sense uh, after the first answer. Vesper Flights. I read about how some migratory birds crossing vast oceans nonstop can catch sleep in mid-flight just snatches here and there and only at night, sometimes with one eye open to prevent collisions. Isn't that how many of us lead our lives? Under pressure, trusting the wind to carry us, letting the air catch our breath. Maybe we just need to land and rest a bit. I left the sky because your blue was overwhelming. Yet I still hear your cawing in the distance this constant pecking for mealworms under bark, this incessant, annoying tweets on my shoulder, this furious fluttering poking at my eyes, sucking my tears up like nectar. I am my own prey now. I tuck my head under my own broken wings and let these talons dip deep into this unworthy flesh. I'm evolving, flightless. I'm more earthed now, a groundling, I'd rather crawl into my own skin than feather this empty nest. Yet you say it was always about me. I say maybe. Happiness is a selfish thing with strings attached. You give in and give in in order to receive. They take and take and take until we both break. Some gifts are better left unwrapped. They are flying lessons in paper planes. We rise and fall, crash and burn. You fight the flow, then eventually learn to let go. Truth, yours and mine, like currents, can part in separate directions. Acts of faith can't be taught. They come late in flight. Being selfless doesn't come naturally to me. I need to find solace in other lost souls, but only those who seek will be found, they say. But even amateurs can be profound. It may be a while before I can rise above it all, go high, crest the night sky, shut both eyes and trust the wind again. Perhaps I'll meet you there on mended wings and a final whispered prayer. <laughs> poem. Thank you.
0: Wow. What about that particular piece intrigued you?
1: I was very intrigued by the essay Written by Helen Macdonald about how some birds can actually continue flying even in some form of sleep, mm-hmm. and that intrigued me so much. Uh, I think initially she wrote about a specific kind of bird, which I can't remember now. Oh, and, really? But I, I I read that uh, research was I read some research, uh, which research <laughs> uh, usually <laughs> equates to just googling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so that uh, other birds as well uh, do this, uh, frigates and all that, you know. They are just Mm -hmm. in in the air and they're asleep. And I thought that was such, so poetic and so beautiful and so uh, mind-blowing in a sense. So uh, that started me off, yeah.
0: When you share, when you read, when you recite, as I'm listening, you soar with your words.
1: Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. I fall with my words?
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, you do.
1: <laughs> oh, well, That's good to know. Thank you.
0: Yes, you do. <laughs> I can see why you're a performance poet because it's there, the performance piece. I've always believed that a poem should be lived just like your life, to bring it yeah. off the page, has always been important to me. Yeah, yeah, So what I'd like to know from you is, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice?
1: Ooh, that's a really hard question to answer. I, I think uh, what attracted me to poetry uh, initially was not off the page. It was uh, stuff I watched on YouTube. You
0: know? Okay. So I would... You know,
1: yeah, I would listen to um, Death Poetry Jam, if you remember that. They have I all their videos remember. online. Yeah, and Saul Williams was on it, and, and Sarah Kay, and, and all these people that I never knew at all. It's this guy named Marshall Davis Jones, and and then later, I, I, I just watched all these spoken word artists like Hanif Abdurraqib, you know him, and Rudy Francisco, and Taylor Mali, and... Harry Baker, British guy, and Shane Koizan about bullying. So Kay Tempers from Britain as well. All this amazing performance poetry that is what attracted me to it. Because uh, how they would stir an audience, how they were were speaking their truth, and how they were sharing something that was sometimes so painful. And and you get it. And I understood it. And I could follow the story. And that attracted me to it. And that's what... I wanted to do. I wanted to stand on stage, even though it was so scary. Even though I was a trainer and stood in uh, in a coat and tie in front of uh, executives and CEOs, uh, performing your own uh, poems that come from your soul is is really, really, really uh, quite a nervous, nerve wracking thing. Yeah. Yes, it is. So that's yes, what it is. Yeah.
0: So mm-hmm. it was like you were a sponge, picking up information picking up voices, sounds, yeah. as you can think
1: uh, Yeah, being imitative, but uh, later finding my own voice. My first uh, poetry workshop was run by a performance poet, poet named uh, Kat, Catherine Brogan. Cat uh, mm-hmm. Brogan from, from Northern Ireland. She was a poetry slam champion and she came to Malaysia and she's a poetry activ- educator and activist. So that was my first exposure to uh, to performance poetry directly from a person who has actually done it and lived it and did hundreds of them uh, all across uh, Britain. And and so just shout out to her for encouraging and validating what I was doing.
0: It's wonderful. You know, all great writers, Julian, have great Mm -hmm. writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them great in your eyes?
1: Wow, ooh, too many to mention. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just pick a couple, pick a couple. <laughs>
1: uh, who am I influenced by? Um, I'm, I, I think I mentioned all the names of the performance poetry people yes. earlier, Dr. Saul Williams and Sarah Kay and Harry Baker and uh, Hanif Abdurraqib and Taylor Mali and Rudy Francisco and... Uh, I listened during the uh, pandemic to Billy Collins. Billy Collins is a former poet laureate of the U.S., and mm-hmm. he started a Facebook podcast, or rather a Facebook live cast, and everybody was following and And it, it, for me, it was like 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning. So I used to wake up and just listen to his, usually it's very short, 30 minutes to 45 minutes, and he would read his poems and other people's poems, poems that he liked, And he was very casual about it. And he played jazz at the beginning and the ending, which usually got him into trouble because, you know, it was copyright. (laughs) But they managed to pull it off. He and his his very very attentive wife, who was more tech-heavy than him, uh, pulled it off. And it was amazing because the community that built around uh, Billy Collins' uh, live uh, Facebook live cast were all very nice and very validating and very encouraging and he would read comments that we posted on Facebook and he would read it back to us and it was so such a joy to hear the name being read by uh, <laughs> someone who is a uh, best-selling every every one of his books you never hear about it right in 2020 someone is a best-selling author of poetry, right? And he is a best-selling author. All his books just fly off the shelves, right? And it was so cool to order it directly from him and have him sign it. Uh, that was that was really cool. And I was very influenced by his humor. And mm-hmm. underlying his humor of his poetry is always a, a, a beautiful and wonderful message that you, you have to read over and over again or hear over and over again. And sometimes, sometimes it's very plain and simple. You think, but it's incredibly complex. Uh yes. So I love that about uh, Billy Collins, yeah.
0: Very nice, very nice. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Julian Matthews. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Does it hurt you to write poetry? Why or why not?
1: Yes, it does. Oh, sometimes I'm bringing out stuff that I have left buried for years as a child and. When I was encouraged to write, I attended a whole bunch i, I didn 't think I was a very good poet, so mm-hmm. I, I, my poetry was just uh, to amuse some of my friends on facebook and uh, since somebody somebody took one of my poems so seriously, I decided to hey i got to learn this i got to learn what what all this is about and I attended like teen workshops and any workshop I could find online and one of the big influences for me was uh, uh, Sharon Baca, she's okay. uh, an English uh, teacher here, based year, here, uh, some years, and uh, she runs a workshop. Uh, at first uh, in person, but after the pandemic on Zoom, mm-hmm. and I've attended three of her workshops, and every time she has a free w- free workshop after that as well, just a two-hour catch-up. She uh, she encourages with prompts, and although she's uh, uh, she. She doesn't really directly teach you poetry. She she encourages and validates everything I write. And so that's very encouraging. And uh, mm-hmm. shout out to Sharon Baca and all the people who are in those classes are all have formed a nice community and they all encourage each other. I think it's very important because you're dealing with a lot of personal pain, as you suggest. Yes. yes. And when you share this pain, when you share this pain, you want to save space for people to hear you out just accept you for who you are and to understand and, uh, and share your pain with you or, or validate what your, your emotions, tell you that it's okay. Uh, I think that's important.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd like you to tell me about a poem you are proud mm-hmm. of writing but afraid mm-hmm. to share for Fear of Misinterpretation.
1: Yeah, so um, I was afraid to share this poem because uh, it uh, involved uh, America pulling out of Afghanistan after 20 years All right. and I didn't I was worried about how it was going to be misconstrued um, so it's called Falling Men uh, shall I read it?
0: yes I'd love that yes
1: Falling Men the news clip came with a warning A crossed-out eye icon. Sensitive content. This video may show violent or graphic content. They needed to freeze-frame the video and circle the blurred distant figures in red as if to say, here be human beings. Once again, it's proven that men can't fly. In Kabul or Saigon or New York, the lesson of Icarus is Greek to us all, even to the literate. History repeated, defeated. Pilots like leaders can destroy or save the day. It's all perspective. It's either a cape or another caper. No escape for the skp. No refuge for the refugee. But there are no heroes here. Just the quiet desperation of silhouettes in midair, human beings with hearts and hopes and dreams now crumpled bodies on the tarmac. A host on Zoom open mic once welcomed me as a poet from the Far East. I suppose it could have been worse. He could have said Oriental or Third World, or used the blanket term, Asian. Maybe I should embrace the fact that I'm not just from a single nation, but I'm continental, better engineered, luxury branded, more expensive. But Asian or African aren't terms associated with continental, are they? Better a continent, than incontinent, I say. I'm reminded of the photo of the falling man of 9-11, the sharp focus outline of another human being in mid-air against the stark backdrop of black-and-white vertical lines of the soon-to-collapse Twin Towers. Uncertainty of who he was still hangs in the air. They say he may have been a staff at windows of the world a restaurant in the North Tower. The body was never found amid the ash and ashen All is gray. Sometimes the lens of red, white, and blue is blurry, unfocused. We know how we got here. We just don't know how we're going to leave. It's all perspective. There are no heroes here. We look out through our own windows of the world now. We zoom in and zoom out, muting and unmuting each other, depending on who's the host, the pilot, the leader. Sometimes the meetings are recorded, sometimes not. Sometimes people are focused, clear. Sometimes they are blur or cracking up. Sometimes they are quiet, grieving. Sometimes people fall off the screen and are never heard of again. In the virtual world, it's easy to click leave and just go. In the real world, leaving always, always comes with a price.
0: Thank you. Yes. What did you release inside your body? You wrote that poem.
1: Oh, yeah, so many things, right? Uh, you know, there were three Malaysians who died in the Twin Towers. Of yeah, so there were a number of people from a number of nations who are working with the Twin Towers, and there were three Malaysians who passed there. So mm-hmm. just imagining those bodies eventually being found and brought back to Malaysia, and with the echoes of uh, the two planes we lost in uh, 2014, we lost MH370 mm-hmm. and MH17 because it we were shot over Ukraine, and everybody in that plane also passed. So with, the, with that in the background... It was just looking at the video of those people sitting on, the, on the, 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 the plane that was taking off from Kabul and then knowing fully well that those people were going to fall off the plane. You know? And sure yes. enough, the plane took off. And then what scared me was a comment I saw on social media where somebody said, why are these people so stupid? not knowing who those figures were, like eight bodies fell off that plane, right? And I tracked that story, the follow-up story. And one of them was a doctor, you know? Wow. And
0: obviously,
1: obviously and one of them was a, a, a football player who was playing for the national youth team, and one of them was a doctor. You, you, you think why you're the person who's trained as a doctor, a scientist, a medical guy, someone who knows something about what's going to happen, take such a huge risk, like climbing on the, the body of a plane that was taking off. Mm-hmm. And, and when you read his name and you hear about his background and how his body was retrieved, and you know that this guy was probably in some form or manner helping Americans in Afghanistan. And he knew that when the Taliban came back, that he, he was good as dead.
0: Yes. You know.
1: And, and, and when you understand that desperation in people, when you understand that, then you never say that they're ignorant. You, know? you never mm-hmm. say that they are, they're wrong. You know, in, wow. Until you're in a situation like in Ukraine where you're so desperate that you don't know where your next meal is coming and when the bomb is going to fall on your bomb shelter. You, know? you, you, you never really know. You never really know people's situations.
0: You know, that brings up a question that I ask every single time. As you just shared, there's so much happening in the world, so much happening. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. What I want to know is, what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society?
1: Oh, wow. Big question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I, I realized... Uh... The more I read, the less I know, right? That, that's yes. the thing about poetry now, right? I thought mm-hmm. I knew something about poetry, but I, I hardly know anything about it now. Uh, for instance, I listed uh, a list of 100 poets I'd like to read uh, on Facebook one day. I just found lists of people who uh, everybody regarded as good poets or great poets or who were poet laureates or who had multiple books out or famous for just one poem. And I listed, I thought... In my mind, at least a hundred poets that I should read before I go. Before I go, and then everybody got, everybody jumped on board with their suggestions, and I had another list of about fifty more people I should read. So then I realized, wow, I mean, it's bottomless, right? Poetry is mm-hmm. huge, and and even a poet who's only five or six year old, five or six years old, can move you, and a person who's in their 80s who's writing their last line can move mm-hmm. you. So and everything in between and being on the open mics uh, shout out to all those people who really week after week put it out there new poems out there and every one of them has something to share that is so can be so impactful and 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 touch you so uh, did i answer that question (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) that's a tough one to answer because people view it differently people view it differently You know, you've been on the stage, open mics. What message would you give to those who write and read poetry? If you had to give them a message.
1: Those who write and read poetry? Wow, I'm so new at it. I've only been there six years. No, no, no. I'm still a baby at it. No,
0: no, no. No, no, no. You graduated from that stage a long time. You're a pro. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I you are it. a pro If you watch <laughs> Def Forge <laughs> Like you said In that video I'm tape, so you grateful You pro.
1: said that Because you've been Doing it More, <laughs> more years than I have You've even thought it. my friend <laughs> <laughs> <Your> bio. <Bible.
0: laughs> what message Would you give them My friend What would you tell them I think keep writing Because everything You say Needs to be heard
1: Everybody has Some line in them That others Can Can uh, Relate to so keep writing, keep connecting with other poets, keep uh, uh, keep connecting with your audience. So keep writing and sharing because it, it never stops. Huh? Yeah, there's a huge well for you to dip from, and it's and it's just waiting for you to. You know how it feels when sometimes you write a poem, and it's coming from somewhere else. Have you ever been in that position?
0: Yes, I have.
1: <laughs> you know, I hear this a lot from uh, uh, singers who write lyrics and stuff and, and poets and. Right, and you you write the first line, and then you don't know where it comes from, and then the next the next line comes, and the next line, and it's like you're channeling some other force. So I think poetry is not something that belongs inside us that we scribble in a journal and just hide under a box or, and hide it in the storeroom. It it should be shared, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that it's coming from somewhere. And if you don't take it, if you get a line and you don't grab it and hold on to it and try to finish it, uh, it somebody else will you go to an open mic and you hear somebody else read it (laughs) because (laughs) we are all, I feel like in a way we're all dipping from the same creative pool, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And from just different ends and, and, and the little poem may swim by you. And if you don't grab, grab it, it go on to someone else, the gift that someone else takes (laughs) and and presents to others.
0: Well, actually you answered one of the questions that I plan to ask The question is, do you feel that a poem tells you what it wants to be?
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's talking to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) You're not crazy. You know that, right? (laughs) It's just you and I. Nobody else is here. Tell me me about it. Nobody. Sometimes you hear a line (laughs)
1: Sometimes you hear a line that you think, "Wow, that's too profound for 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 me to have come up with myself." <laughs> so, so you get so worried. Where is this? Did I read it somewhere? Did I, you know? And then you just put it online and you Google it and see whether anybody has written it. Is it somewhere there? That you know? That somehow by osmosis you absorbed it and it's in your your system now. And and should I write it now? And and you get, you get all flustered and messed up in your head. But if you <laughs> if you get into the flow of it, and it, it just grabs you, right? And it's just like hooked you on your nose, and you're just being led by it in some direction, and you just go with it. And next thing you know, it's done, you know? And when you're done, you're done. I'm done. It's done. <laughs> it's, it's out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Please, <she'll> poem.
1: <laughs> okay, so um, let me just scroll down. So the next one is called Second Skin. Uh, I should uh, preface it by suggesting that this was somebody had written some po- a poem from, from 40 years ago and he shares these poems every time in our group, which is called Kuala Lumpur Poetry Share. And, mm-hmm. and one of the lines he said was, everything has a skin or something, a paraphrase. I paraphrased him. So I thought that was a brilliant line, so I went with it. So this is called Second Skin is about. minutes long second skin everything has a skin the down on a hatchling the insides of bedding winter is just another covering a new fresh dressing for a scorched earth a battle-scarred forest husk trees a brief healing to melt away into green everything has a peel a rind a skin oranges bananas coconuts even the groundnut and the peanut within A snake moults every month or two. A swan replaces all 25,000 feathers every summer. The hibernating bear in a cave always comes back hungrier. Everything has a mask, a coat, a shell. The forest, and overstory, the tree, a bark, the book, a cover. Humans shed their entire outer layer every two to four weeks. A thousand skins in an average lifetime each a story to tell, maybe. Some skins are too thin. I once saw kids and grown adults at a mall in cosplay, trapsing around in colorful wigs, fierce makeup and outlandish outfits, anime and manga characters unfamiliar to me, having fun being unrecognizable yet recognized in disguise. If only for a day, we all have a capacity to reinvent, to act, to adopt a the persona. They say to fake it until you make it, but all, <laughs> but all sequined lives have consequences. Everything has a skin. Sometimes we adapt the role so well, we become the other, the salesman, imbibing his own snake oil, the charmer, hypnotized by her own spell. Being professional may mean swallowing our true amateur, authentic artistic selves defiling haloed ground for a hollow victory, the end justifying the meanness. Everything, everything has a skin, some thicker within. It's inherent perhaps in our dual nature, I suppose, to be both poison and elixir, to alleviate and induce Suffering. The exquisite curved tip of a scorpion's sting. Everyone has a second skin. Yours may be warm, soft and tender. Mine, colder, crustier. I'm two-thirds of the way in. Some rings yet to encircle me. Some pages yet to be writ. Your chapter is only beginning. Your core is still terraforming. Your edges yet to flake off. Everything has a skin. Even snow changes on its journey from cloud to earth. Water vapor attaches to every hurtling icy drop. It can't choose where it falls, where it's been. But when you magnify, home in, peer closely enough, every snowflake is a six-pronged crystal. No two ever alike, they say. You never know from its coming where it's going. A second skin can also be a thing of beauty. Just waiting to be found. Just wanting to be seen. Everything as a second skin. Everything. Thank you.
0: Yes. You know, Julian, they say Mm. that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, musicians, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What comes out of you?
1: Oh, what comes out of me? Um, I don't know where sometimes these words are coming from. Of course, I mm-hmm. was a reporter, so there was a lot of words to be written, and I was a trainer, so a lot of words I had to create all the programs myself and all those words that went up on uh, on the screen were written by me. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Okay. Just, what was the question
0: again? <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. <laughs> we'll, move on. <laughs> well, answer this question. And yes. this is a good one, I think. What yes. do you want your poetry to do? Where do you want it to go? That's a nice question.
1: I just want to share my truth, whatever right. I, I, that comes out of me. I just want to mm-hmm. uh, share stuff that is, seems to be pouring from somewhere else as well sometimes. I don't know where it's come. When it happens, it's so great and it's such a perfect moment of flow. Um, uh, I'd just like to share some of the stories that uh, I, I, I've uh, somehow or rather absorbed into my system and now it's coming up in different forms. Sometimes it's very uh, uh, personal and sometimes it's imagined. Sometimes it's just pure fiction. I've just invented something uh, I, I never knew existed before. So mm-hmm. uh, I, guess, uh, I just I just want to share that, and I hope that somebody out there can, even if it's just one person, can relate to it and somehow take it in and receive it and find some solace in it, maybe, and find mm-hmm. it alleviates some some of her or his pain, and uh, and and they can they can I don't know put it up and read it to themselves in, the, mm-hmm. in the, their quiet times or times when they are desperate okay. or times when they are quite lonely and, mm-hmm. uh, and them gives them some hope. Uh, that's important for me, I think. If it just affects one person mm-hmm. who, who takes it in and absorbs it and, and, and likes it or enjoys it.
0: You said that you've been writing since 2017, <clears> which is, <throat> is quite a period of time. How has your idea of what poetry is and what poetry can do changed since you began writing poetry?
1: Oh, how it's changed.
0: <laughs> I think I was... Uh, because I,
1: my training as a journalist, I was very literal. Mm-hmm. And some of the poems were were just so literal and so painful to read that, you know, it was mm-hmm. like uh, scratching your eyes out, you know. So now... Of late, I think it's evolved into becoming, shall we say, more poetic, uh, more use of figurative language, more metaphor, more simile, uh, mm-hmm. more paradox, more uh, imagination, and not hitting it, not hitting the nail directly, but uh, trying to be more subtle. I think in any form of writing, if you achieve a point where the the message is there but it's hidden and it's subtle. I think that's, that's cool. You've reached a point where you feel more comfortable, where more people are able to relate to it and, and it, it doesn't turn them off or turn them away. Although some poems just require to be to be written that way, I think trying to be more subtle and less uh, uh, less uh, direct, less literal uh, has changed over the last uh, six years. Also, I've become more um, very weird Uh, i become more surreal. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Nothing wrong with that. I I, I like that word. I like surreal. I like surreal. Yeah, you know, Charles uh, Simic and sometimes Billy Collins, so some of the poems, it it just takes you in a completely different direction that you never thought you could go, right? I mean, he's written about Fox, for instance. So I started writing sometimes. I've written stuff about vacuum cleaners and, <laughs> and rotating fans and, <laughs> and inanimate objects. You know, i personified strange inanimate objects and, and seen their perspective. So that's, that's the thing I've been doing lately. It's kind of weird. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, which brings up a question. Now it's your time to brag what is the one thing that makes your writing unique and different from others? Oh, wow.
1: So, <laughs> I don't know whether I found my voice yet. Okay, but all I, right. There. I've, I've had groups of people say, I've had people say, oh, that sounds so something like Julian would write, you know, and I was so stunned by mm-hmm. that. And I mm-hmm. keep asking them, can you tell me what is a typical Julian poem? Because I'm writing all over the place, right? I'm, I'm writing like small poems and large poems and endless poems and, and all sorts of things, right? I'm writing serious stuff. I'm writing funny stuff. I'm, and, and, and so I don't know what my voice is yet. I'm still searching for it. And when I find it, I'll tell you.
0: Okay. Very nice. You're welcome back. We've reached... <laughs> My favorite part of the program, which is what I view as a mini poetry concert. This is where you have an opportunity to read three, four poems back to back, no interruptions from me. So oh. I know that you know the stage. You're on the stage yeah. now, Julia. How many minutes? I turn there? it over to you. Just as long as you as you're like. Out. Oh. Okay. (laughs) Within reason. (laughs) (laughs) Within reason.
1: (laughs) Okay. So this is for my mom. It was my mom's birthday yesterday, January 23rd or January 23rd in America right now. And uh, I wrote a a prose poem called Snake Stories and I mentioned her in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's about about well, five minutes long. Uh, so it starts like this. Snake Stories 1. My mother had a relationship with a snake. I don't say this lightly or in jest. She really believed in it. Once when I came home to inform her I was getting married, she said the palm in Tamil had already visited and told her the news. Similarly, when we were expecting our first child, she already knew. The snake had delivered the message. I never questioned it. When I was 13, we lived in a row of terrace houses that had an abandoned area behind, which attracted all sorts of creepy crawlies to the extended back kitchen. One day, she discovered a black cobra that made its home in a hole next to the drain pipe in Mom's kitchen. I remember the drama of coaxing it out with hot water with each of us armed with something, a bat, a broomstick, a or hoe and parang machete, ready to strike and screaming as it slid out and raised its hooded head. And somehow, all of us missed the target until my mother stepped in and sliced it clean through. She was always decisive that way, never showed fear, made me suck it up when I came crying from a fall or a cut and sending me off amid the snot and tears to go get the plaster and mercurichrome myself from the medicine cabinet. She did hug and show deep affection like most mothers, but only when I was little. But I sense, immediately she regretted killing the cobra. She was Hindu by birth and converted to Catholicism when she married dad. The killing of a snake, even watching it being killed, is a bad omen. She must have made amends later, as is the custom, to future snakes that showed up. I don't remember her killing another, so... The snake or snakes that came after must have come, delivered the message, and left in peace. I never knew whether the snake delivered only good news, though. She would never tell us anyway if it were bad news. Two, sometime later there was a local story which made world news of a rubber tapper being squeezed to death by a huge python. Another man had stumbled upon the scene when the snake was in mid swallow its mouth stuck around the shoulder blades. It literally had bitten off more than it could chew, and it was later killed. My dad read the story out loud to us with a mixture of awe and sly humor. Of course, later there was a consult with the pink four-digit book with the fierce Chinese god in front that had tiny drawings which corresponded with the numbers. He looked up a drawing, usually if it came to you in a dream, and tried your luck at the Empat Nombo Eco four-digit lottery betting shop. I don't think the snake number brought Dad any luck. No matter how many combinations of it he tried, just like the unlucky hapless tapper who couldn't be revived. Three, my mother has passed on for over six years now. The other day, my wife had a vivid dream of her, which she remembered. She said my mom was hugging me tightly, something we rarely did when I turned adult. I wonder then whether there were snakes in heaven. Or whether one came to her, sending us a message from a dream. Maybe it was good news, maybe it was bad. We know mothers and all dogs, as a matter of principle, are sent to heaven when they pass. But what about snakes? Is there a place even for them there too? Years ago, when I told the story of Adam and Eve to my children, I thought after the fall that the snake logically had to follow them out of Eden. Who would the snake torment or tempt in paradise left by itself? No snake is an island. And I wondered about all the snakes in my life, the reptilian and the two-legged kind whether it was worth forgiving and reaching out or just moving on without the drama, without the need to assuage and make amends. Maybe it's the uncoiling of these times that has left some of us spiraling into apathy. Less serpent, more servian. Some days I've enough snake in me to swallow me whole. Most days I just want to curl up and be left alone. And then it occurred to me, maybe there was never a snake in my mother's back kitchen after all. She just used the story to remind me that there is a bit of snake in all of us. Sometimes the snake makes us hiss, bite, tempt, or torment others. Sometimes it can constrict or wind us up. Maybe to move forward, all we need to do is make the choice to shed old skins and be remade anew. Maybe the snake is just here to be the bearer of the message, the lesson from all this death and dying. And like my mother, we need to make peace with it and let let it go. Maybe you just need to listen to the sound of our own rattle and find our way back to Eden and never ever again kill the messenger. Oh, wow. The second poem is called uh, Tunnel. The Tunnel. Someone said this poetry open mics are akin to bridges, but I say they're more like tunnels. In a tunnel, sometimes when you enter, you're excited, sometimes a little nervous, uncertain, sometimes you're wired, tired, seeking solace. You enter the darkness with hope that there is light on the other side, that you will eventually find a way out, even if you have to dig your way out. When the host asks everyone to unmute and show some love, did you stay muted? Camera off? Aching inside? Was the echo chamber too loud for your ears? When you clicked leave, was it then a relief? When it was over, did you return to your side of the tunnel, underwhelmed, undelivered, uncrossed? Is your side of the tunnel still hollow, a chasm of sameness, indifference, apathy, a cluttered desk you swear is an organized mess, a shelf of unread books, a lone couch, an empty, unwashed mug? Was the friend request ignored? Did the email go unreplied? Was the text message you sent ghosted for days, weeks, months, like a clock on a wall that stopped ticking when no one was looking? Sometimes there is a disconnect, but I hear you, I see you, I feel you, I too have a hole of unburied grief. I pray some nights you see the glimmer on the other side. I hope your heart pounds so hard inside you, you could hear your ribcage crack with every beat. I hope you are so moved that somehow... You transcend space and time and melt into the screen. I hope some words are so tender they swoon your soul and grows wings and orbits the heavens. I hope across this optical illusion, this digital hallucination, these amplified bit surfing on fibrous light waves, you are somehow lit. I hope you cup that light in your hands like a firefly bottle lit. Watch it glow tonight till you drift off to sleep. Afloat on a cloud of happy childhood memories for our precious time together here is a time tunnel, a hidden underpass, a secret passageway. We plow through it with bare hands, calloused by this sentencing of our own making when it seems all around us the bridges are being broken and all the war drums beat louder and louder when all you and I want is the same thing, some peace of mind, some shared silences, Some soft music and some soothing words, and to hear someone, anyone, on the other side, digging, still digging. End poem. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Elvis has left the building <laughs> <All> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Julian, <Yeah. laughs> do you think you were meant to be a poet? Oh. One more question? <laughs> um
1: I don't know about like, whether I was meant to be a poet, but it was so strange when I fi- first used that term, on because I, I, I'm a journalist, I'm a writer, I use the term uh, trainer, but to use the, the that word poet to my name was very strange at first because I thought I was still very new in it. So was I meant to be a poet? Uh, maybe I was a poet in a previous life. All right. Maybe, maybe I'm just... Uh, Channeling somebody who 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 was another soul in a previous life, and he's come to me and uh, or oh, he or she has come to me and said, You need to put this down on words and share it with others mm. um so that freaks me out sometimes to think that, and uh wow so so uh so yeah, maybe that you know
0: you know oh. I know you don't want another question. <laughs> <laughs> This is the last one. (laughs) What surprises you most about being a poet? That I'm one. (laughs) (laughs) That you're all one. (laughs) I
1: didn't expect, I really didn't, never expected people to be so moved by my words because I was a journalist for 15 years and you know, when you're a journalist, none of your stories you, you don't have an immediate reaction from readers. You don't see them in front of you, right? You, it comes out in print the next day and goes out to people's homes, and you don't see their reactions, right? So performance poetry, completely different, because you get an immediate reaction. So what surprises me most about being a poet, even on Zoom, even on online, that sometimes I can see people tear up. Sometimes people just admit it to me, you know? Sometimes people, see, sometimes people just laugh out loud, and that's so good and so uplifting for the spirits, right? And uh, I'm just seeing the human condition unfold before my eyes. That's what surprises me. You know? I'm writing about the human condition. I can see it unfold before my eyes, and that, that's, uh, that's very heartwarming, and I'm so grateful and so humbled by it to see that people are moved by my words, and that, that makes a lot of, uh, gives me a lot of hope and inspiration to keep going on.
0: Where do you go from here, Julian, creatively?
1: Oh, so, uh, yeah. So I, I'm trying to push uh, uh, see as far as I can, read as many poets as I can, and push the boundaries to see where this goes. There's uh, so much uh, pressure now to deliver a book. Yeah, so I guess I have to work on that at some point. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and, uh yeah, so that's where I'm headed. And I'm also experimenting right. with uh, multimedia and video and seeing where, how I can incorporate music in, and, and other forms of uh, art in it as well. Yeah, so that moves me in different directions. Like seeing my creative side come up. just from poetry. Wow.
0: Yeah. Very nice. I want to thank you so much for joining me. It's been an incredible period of time with you. I've learned so much. You are a, you thank are you. a phenomenal man. A ph- oh. Maya, Dr. Maya Angelou is a phenomenal woman. Julian Matthews <laughs> is a phenomenal man. You really oh,
1: are. Wow, thank you. That's such a big compliment. <laughs> thank you so much. Coming, Coming from I you, know Dr. Ingram, that's really special. Thank you so
0: much. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank Oh, wow. It's just a wonderful hour. To the listening audience, as I share with you every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Take care, everybody. Take care, Julia. Good night. Thank you. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.